0: Our New Testament lesson is continuing in Philippians chapter 2, the passage we read earlier. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you reveal your will for us even in the midst of your promises us to in the gospel. You claim responsibilities from us as those who have been transformed through our union with Christ. Help us to hear these words and to think about how we use our words, whether we are using them to bless or to curse, whether we are using them to rejoice and give thanks, or to grumble and complain. Help us to be those who are content in heart, that we may use our mouths with one heart and voice to give glory to our God and Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, what do you know? It's, it's 1130 and not 1230 like last time. Um, Yesterday I had an opportunity to talk to my sister who uh, lives down in Atlanta, Georgia. My sister, in case you don't know it, was a government employee for 37 years for the Internal Revenue Service. In fact, she was an auditor for the Internal Revenue Service. Can you imagine never complaining about paying your taxes? I have another friend that I went to college with at The Ohio State University, who won a big game yesterday, and he spent his long career still working for the National Weather Service. Imagine never complaining about the weather. Well, brothers and sisters, whether you can imagine it or not, the Word of God clearly says to you here that you are to do all things, no matter what you are doing, no matter what activity you are engaged in, without grumbling or complaining. In fact, I want you to notice, I want you to think about this for a second. The previous two verses... God told you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you. And the first way that he wants you to work out that salvation is with your tongue, with your speech, with your words. Now, I want you to understand, so first we're looking at the what. Okay. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. First, we're looking at the what. The what is do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, before we go forward on this, I just want you to think for a second that we have these psalms of lament where David is pouring out his complaint before the Lord. Okay, And so there is a proper place for us to express the fact that we live as fallen people in a fallen world, okay? I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time on, on how we reconcile these two things, except to say this. There's a big difference between me speaking my complaints to God, who can actually do something about them, and speaking my complaints to you, particularly if you're somebody who can't help me with the situation, if I'm just expressing my discontent knowing that maybe you'll give me a sympathetic ear. So it's one thing to to give our complaints to God like David does in the Psalms of Lament. Paul's addressing something different. Paul is saying, do everything in your life without grumbling or complaining. And notice that he doesn't give any qualifiers. He doesn't say, do all things without grumbling or complaining, unless you're talking about the president. Do all things without grumbling or complaining unless you're talking about the governor unless you're talking about your elders unless you're talking about your parents or your children. No. He doesn't give us any exceptions. He doesn't give us he doesn't let us off the hook. Do all things without grumbling or complaining unless it's raining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining unless your spouse isn't treating you the way you think you should be treated by your spouse. Unless your children aren't obeying you the way they're supposed to be obeying you. Do all things apart from, without, absent of, grumbling and complaining. Now, not only are there no exceptions to this, but you also need to realize that you have no power in yourself to do this. You see, the Bible is not like the great philosopher Plato. Plato once said, you know, he was all about education. Plato said, the man who knows the good will do the good. Plato had obviously never met your children right? You can tell them, obey mommy and daddy, don't complain, don't complain particularly about your siblings, and yet it keeps happening, right? Just because we know what we're supposed to do, and of course we're going to talk about this, if we know what we're supposed to do, how are we supposed to do it? We'll get into that. Now, even though we can sort of funnily talk about complaining about the weather or complaining about the political situation, you do need to realize that Paul is particularly addressing complaining in the church. Complaining in the church. Now, how do I know that? Well, if you go over to the end of this book, you see that Paul will actually publicly address two women that were at odds with each other in the congregation. And, you know, 2,000 years later, we know their names, Euodia and Syntyche, because they're written in this letter. So he's publicly confronting some kind of conflict. But then also it's possible that they were complaining about their pastor, Epaphroditus, who had taken their gift over to where Paul was, either in jail in Ephesus or in Rome. And Paul actually has to write back and say, you know who this guy is and how much he cares about you guys? Receive men such as him which means maybe they were complaining about his ministry the way the Israelites were complaining about Moses and Aaron. And of course Moses says, you know, you're not really complaining against us. This is really, your beef is with God and the providence that he has in your life. And it's easy to complain in the church, right? Oh, our pastor's away too much. We don't have our own building. When are we going to get our own building? Um, You know, there's too many little kids in here that'll make so so much noise. You know, it's easy to complain about things in the church. You know, why why can't we get, I don't know, carpet instead of wood flooring, okay? Um, And what we need to realize is that complaining is due to a lack of contentment in life, right? This is the book where Paul says at the end of the book, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is not about, you know, I can score a touchdown or I can make the last second basket, the buzzer beater, okay, even though that's what all the athletes wanted to say it's about. No, it's about Paul being in jail unjustly for the sake of the gospel and suffering persecution, being able to be content so that he can abase, that's down here, or abound, right, He can be without and be content. He can be with and be content. In other words, I can do all things. It's not so much about great achievements. It's about being willing to suffer loss and deprivation and even eventually disease and death and still be content. When we quest after Things in this life. When we put the creator or the creature and the creation above the creator, it's going to lead to frustration. You know, Blaise Pascal talked famously about that God shaped vacuum, and we're always trying to fill it with other things. Even sometimes believers do that. We're trying to fill it with other things instead of God, and it can't fill it, so it leads to frustration that often comes out in complaining and sometimes worse, you know, violence and hurting other people to, to get those things that we want, okay? If you remember C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, right? He talks about, you know, the love of a mother for a child, the love of a husband for a wife or two lovers, friendship love, and of course the last one is the love of God and our love for Him. And he talks about how all three of these first ones will always be disordered if you don't have this one in the right place. And he put it this way. Eros, which of course is the the love between two lovers, husband and a wife, Eros becomes a devil when it becomes a god. Eros becomes a devil when it becomes a god. In other words, if your quest for having that human connection with another person displaces the connection you need to have with the living God, it's not going to help you. It's not going to fulfill you. It's just going to frustrate you and make you discontent and unhappy. Okay, As good as it is to have a spouse, right? And it's not good for man to be alone. It's great to have a spouse. But if you put that spouse in the place of your heavenly husband, you know, you know, the way I like to say it at, at wedding sermons is, is all of history is moving to the point where there's only going to be one marriage left, right? Christ and the church. So don't try to put your marriage. Don't make your marriage the, the, the end-all and be-all because there's only one marriage that's going to be left, okay? Now, having learned a little bit about the what, now we need to ask ourselves the Why? Why are we to live such content lives with our lot in life that we can go about those lives in our, in our work, in our play, in our interactions in our home without grumbling or complaining? Well, that's what the next verse says. In order that you might become blameless and pure children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation." Now, as Paul thinks about this situation in Philippi, it reminds him of his Israelite ancestors. Now, the book of Philippians has no direct quotes. It's, one of the, it's the only epistle, I think, of Paul's that has no direct quotes from the Old Testament. But it has several allusions to the Old Testament. Not illusions, but allusions. Okay? The first one is in uh, chapter one, where there's an allusion to Job chapter 19. There's an allusion to uh, when it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, that's an allusion to Isaiah 45, where it says every knee will bow to to Yahweh, the Lord, now being applied to Christ. Well, here there's an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and uh, I printed it for you in the back of, of your bulletin here. Unfortunately, I forgot to embed the Greek font, so just neglect all that gibberish stuff. But there's a contrast where the Song of Moses, and by the way, the Song of Moses is on the, the cover of your, of your bulletins here today, right? Uh, the rock, his work is perfect, all his ways are justice. This is the song that Moses sings at the end of his life about the 12 tribes and about the history of Israel up to this point. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright. Now listen to verse 5. They, referring to Israel, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children. They are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So that's what Israel was, particularly in the wilderness, which is why they all died except for Joshua and Caleb. They were corrupt. They were no longer his children. They were twisted. Time and again, God had saved them. He rescued them with a mighty hand. He brought them out and in, in, in cared for them. And what did they do? Time and time again. Oh, why don't we have this? Oh, why aren't we back in Egypt? Oh, why did you bring us out here to die? Oh, where's our food and drink? And time and time again, God provided for them. He rained down manna in Exodus chapter 16. He got water from the rock in Exodus 17. Time and time again, providing for And time and time again, because of their discontent, because of the state of their hearts, it comes out in their mouths and in their language. What, what have you done for me lately, God? Why aren't you giving me this? Why aren't you giving me that? And what Paul says, Paul says that because of the advent of the Messiah, because of the advent of the new covenant, where there's a new power, you, the people of God, are to be in sharp contrast to them, the old covenant, people of God. You are not to be corrupt. You are to be blameless. You are not to be not his children. You are to become his children. Now, right there, you might be scratching your head and saying, yeah, but, but uh, Reverend Nolder, I thought the Bible, I thought Paul clearly said that we are the children of God. What does he mean? So that you might become blameless children of God. Aren't, aren't we already the children of God? Isn't that what he says in Galatians chapter 3? Isn't that what 1 John tells us or, or the gospel of John, you know? that they might become children of God, born not of the will of man or of blood, but of God? Well, let's see if we can put these together. Let's see if we can put these together. When I... When I was a young man in elementary school, every nine weeks, I would get a report card. And that report card was littered with A's and B's because I was a pretty decent student growing up. One of the reasons I really liked that is because for every A and B I got, I could take it to McDonald's and get a free cheeseburger. I don't know if they do that anymore, but when I was growing up, they did that. But that's not the main reason I liked getting those grades. I liked getting those A's and B's because I would take it and I would show it to my dad and he would look at this report card littered with good grades, and he would say, that's my boy. Now, when he said that, did he mean that before that point, before he got that grade card, I wasn't his boy? I wasn't his son? Well, of course not. What he meant by that was that as he thought about what he wanted his child to be, one of those things would be being a faithful and good and productive student. And so that's why he said that. Well, brothers and sisters, God wants you to live such contented lives, no matter whether you're abounding or you're being abased, that people can look at the way you use your speech and your tongue and the fact, and the fact that sometimes you don't use it because you clamp down on complaining that they can look at you and say, that's God's boy. That's God's girl. She's living such a content life despite her trials, despite the fallen world that she lives in, despite sometimes the injustice that she, that she suffers at the hands of other people, that she is so content in God, in His provision, in His promises, in His inheritance that He has promised to her in Christ, that she can usher with words of thankfulness and people will say, there's something about you. You you must belong to God in a special way that despite all the things you're going through, you don't live a life of complaining and bitterness. That's what Paul is trying to say. And he's saying that we're doing this in the midst of a crooked generation. A crooked generation. Now the word here, the Greek word here, is the word scolia. Maybe you know that there's a word or a condition that comes from this called scoliosis. Right? Literally, crooked. We live in a world where people are beginning to say, men can get pregnant. That gay sex is exactly the same as normal sex. It's crooked. That, that we came from you know, a pile of mud billions of years ago rather than being created in the image of God from the dust of the ground as our prayer said this morning. We live in a, in a crooked and perverse and twisted generation. And we're not supposed to just sit there and complain about it as much as it is wicked. And we do need to speak about that wickedness, particularly to warn our children about the, the, the crooked generation that they live in the midst of. Because, again, Paul's not, you know, he says this in another letter. You know, I'm not saying that you you leave this world. You can't do that, you know. (laughs) Wherever you go to, you're going to take your sin with you, and and you're going to be eventually in the midst of other fallen people, okay. We're not talking about the the Amish alternative, okay. But understanding that the power of God, the power of the gospel is so transformative that, Yes, we, we should be cautious, but we can live in the midst of that generation in such a way that we can show ourselves to be children of God without fault, blameless, which again, that doesn't mean sinless, but living in such a way that we're, in a sense, kind of free from public accusation. Okay, That's what the power of the gospel does. And so the world is telling you, you know, love is love, all this kind of stuff, okay? It's walking around like Quasimodo and saying, this is completely normal, okay? And we've got to recognize that it's not, and yet at the same time, using our words to bless, using our speech to build up, and using our speech to to summon people from their crookedness to the straight ways that are found in Christ, So, we've looked at what, we've looked at why, now we have to ask ourselves, this is the title of the sermon, right? How? How can we possibly live in this way? Well, he goes on to say that this crooked and perverse generation that you live in the midst of, in which you shine as stars in the universe holding fast the word of life, in which you shine as stars in the universe. Now, if you don't realize it, we have here another allusion, not quotation, but allusion to the Old Testament. Before we were alluding to, well, first of all, the word grumbling is alluding to Exodus 16. Hopefully you heard that in the Old Testament reading. Then we were alluding to the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. Now we're alluding to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. And again, I I put this for you in the back of your bulletin. Um, Let me go ahead and read it to you, though. This is Daniel 12, beginning at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Listen, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. It's the same kind of language that Jesus says in Matthew 13 when he says, "In that day the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of my Father." What's this talking about? It's talking about resurrection, right? That that you know there's going to be such a transformation in the resurrection that it's that it's light, you know, that it's you know again it's it's it's, it's, it's it will be co- it will be corporeal and physical. And yet, it will be transformative of such that we will be able to dwell with him who dwells in light unapproachable. Right? That's the glory of the resurrection is we shall be able to live in the presence of God forever and ever. And you're scratching your head again and saying to yourself, but but Pastor Nolder, that hasn't happened yet. My body's dying. My body's decaying. You know... I may even have dark splotches inside me that are growing and causing me to get sicker and eventually die. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you remember what we read together earlier in the service? That resurrection prophecy, that day when someone will. When, when the people of God will shine in the newness of the new age. He humbled himself and suffered the ignoble death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Every prophecy in the Old Testament about the resurrection has already begun in the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And what the Bible clearly says, as you heard me teach on Colossians 3 a few months ago, is that you and I are raised with Christ, that's resurrection language, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The power of the age to come has already broken into this age for the people of God so that they truly can become those who are blameless and innocent in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Not because they have been physically raised, but because they have been raised in the inner man in Christ, and have a resource, have a power, by the power of His Holy Spirit, to transform our hearts, to be contented with our lot in life, so that we can use our words not to complain, not to express bitterness, not to express discontent, but to express contentment with where God has us, both in being alive in Christ and waiting for the final stage of that new life in the resurrection in the future. And we know these things, right, because he says we hold fast the word of life. It's the knowledge of Christ in the gospel that makes us realize that we are being transformed even now from glory into glory. And part of that transformation is in the way we talk and we've got to be careful, brothers and sisters, about you know, <laughs> listening to certain media that's just teaching us to be discontent and to complain all the time. Okay, And I'm not saying that there aren't problems out there. And I'm not saying that, that we may want to have some political activism to try to address those things. Okay, But let's do it in a way that we show ourselves to be the innocent and blameless children of God. We do it in a way not just to attack and to condemn and to complain, but we do it in a way to build up. We do it in a way to promote the cause of Christ. We do it in a way to expand and grow the kingdom of Christ. Paul's point here, the only reason he can tell us that we can live like this is because he knows the risen Christ, the life I live, right? I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that faith transforms my heart. That faith transforms my speech. That faith transforms my doing and my being. And so, brothers and sisters, what are you supposed to do? All things without grumbling or complaining. No exceptions. Why? So that you show yourselves to be the children of God. Those who are are adopted by God and have contentment in God. How? through the, the light that shines in your life because of the power of the risen and shining, right? Revelation chapter 1, John has a vision of the, of the risen Christ seated at God's right hand, and he is shining like the sun. And you, brothers and sisters, are joined to him by faith, raised with him, seated with him in heavenly places so that you can be content in him, And therefore, use your speech not to complain, but to bless and to give thanks and to invite others to join us into this family that there are nothing less than the children of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.